name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, JT. Well, good morning, everyone. What a great way to start a service and a great opportunity today, of course, to set our sights on this Memorial Day weekend. Well, I send greetings on behalf of Pastor Paul, and he and Karen are away traveling this weekend. Their family arranged an anniversary trip. If you remember uh, back a few months ago, they celebrated their 50th anniversary, and their family uh, did something very special for them. So they're on that trip, and I'm, I suspect we may see pictures when they uh, get back in the days ahead. So uh, be praying for them while they are away, and uh, it's an honor to have this time today to share with you, especially in the setting that we find ourselves. I hope you'll not rush through the day's service. I hope you'll take some time to um, appreciate what's been done out in the lobby. There's lots of hours behind the presentation that you just saw. Uh, these men have practiced this week. They've discussed. They've contemplated doing it this way or that way and who would do what parts. And I just am very appreciative of them. And I think we would do well to express our appreciation to all of them for their work this morning. These, of course, are the veterans and, uh, of our church and current military personnel. They are uh, very, a very important part of our church, and we're very thankful for them and what they do. I hope you'll take some time in the lobby to read about the uh, soldier's table, the missing soldier's table out there, and, uh, and take a moment, particularly parents, and enjoy that opportunity with your children. We're going to speak a little bit today about the children and the young people of our church, the next generation. There's not many of us here who wouldn't say that uh, the generations coming up along now are missing something. I'm not sure exactly how to put it into words, not sure exactly how we can label it, but I don't think there's any of us here who have a little experience behind us who wouldn't say that there's something a little different and unique. And I think this is an opportunity, days like today and opportunities like Memorial Day are an opportunity to reinstate important values to our young people and to the importance of what God's Word says. Uh, that verse in Psalms 33:12 that Houston read, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's a cornerstone foundation of what this country is founded on, and it's something that can't be lost, else we find ourselves in that place of not being blessed because we were not where God wants us to be. And none of us today would realize the situation we currently find ourselves in is different than it's ever been before. And so let's be diligent to pray. Let's be diligent to praise. Because the Lord is good. His truth endures to all generations. And uh, his mercy is everlasting, Scripture tells us. Today I want to talk to you about this topic, the value of a memorial. A memorial. Boy, it's, a, it's easy for us to think about memorials. And I want to spend a little bit of time today to review, as, and I have done this before, so I hope, I hope it will not bore you, but obviously not recently. But I like to remember the memorials that our country has established. I hope you can see them well. I know some of you up here have looked over some flags or around some flags. Let's remind ourselves today of some of the memorials that our nation holds dear. It would be impossible, of course, to cover all of them, but let's begin with this one. This is Washington Square in Philadelphia. Completed in 1957, the statue there is George Washington. He stands watch over the tomb of the unknown Revolutionary War soldier. To the left reads this inscription. In unmarked graves within this square lie thousands of unknown soldiers of Washington's army who died of wounds and sickness during the Revolutionary War. Indeed, uh, that generation knew what it was to stand and fight for something dear and valuable to them. Not only their families, but their future 
and the future of our nation. Here in our area, of course, many of us are familiar, I trust, with the General Green statue commemorating, commemorating the Battle of Gifford Courthouse on March 15, 1781. General Green sits atop his steed there. This ins part of this uh, inscription is below him. A grateful nation erects this monument as an expression of its solemn pride in the men who fought here, of its imperishable devotion to their memory, and of its unalienable confidence in the permanence of the principles which their example vindicated and their blood consecrated. I trust you have an opportunity to take your young person to this monument, not just to be enamored by the view of it and the majesty of it, but to understand something of what it stands for and a little bit of the battle of Guilford Courthouse. It indeed was a turning point at the end of the Revolutionary War. Cornwallis would leave Guilford County limping his way to what he thought would be a recovery. He would eventually find himself in Yorktown. And in October 1781, that Battle of Yorktown would end the War of Independence for America. And it would be there that Cornwallis would see the full conclusion of the impact that the Battle of Gifford Courthouse had upon his troops, for he had very little defense against Washington and his men that day. The picture on the right is one a little less known to most people. This is Major Joseph Winston, of whom the city nearby is named. Uh, this monument reads in memory of the North Carolina troops under Major Joseph Winston, who were fighting the Hessians, which were the Germans, and Tarleton's cavalry, called the Dragoons, of the British Army, near this spot. And so we recognize Joseph Winston and his contributions there also through this particular monument. You go a little further in American history, it's difficult to not have some recollection of the Alamo, even though we're not in Texas. Most people know something of the Alamo Monument. I had the opportunity to be there a few years ago myself. Quite an impressive place it is and quite a solemn place to walk into that little chapel where so many gathered to defend their freedoms. The defenders of the Alamo Memorial. The Alamo was a really a two-week siege brought on by General Santa Ana of the Mexican Army as they were looking to take Take this land and this, uh, this position. Names like Colonel William Travis, Jim Bowie, and Davy Crockett are forever etched into the history of the Alamo. Part of this inscription reads, they chose never to surrender nor retreat. That was their decision. Following the siege of the Alamo, General uh, Santa Ana had a, had a bit of a problem to deal with, what to do with all the bodies. He ordered two funeral pyres to be built. And much like wood was stacked, they laid wood, they laid bodies. They laid wood, they laid bodies. And on 5 o'clock, two days after the Battle of the Alamo, they burned those bodies. Americans, every one of them, and Mexicans uh, uh, who were fighting there in, in Texas. Those who stood for freedom found their end at that hand. If you know the rest of that story, you know that Santa Ana and his army were soon overthrown by... General Sam Houston, and uh, the Texas independence was secured from Mexico. The Battle of Gettysburg ranks high in American history as one of the tremendous places of ultimate sacrifice of Americans. This battlefield, of course, in Pennsylvania, 
And it commemorates the battle that lasted from July 1st through July 3rd, 1863, where some 50,000 Americans died in a period of three days. The monument to the left there on the top is the monument of the Virginia units, the one on the bottom representing the North Carolina units. The 26th North Carolina Regiment lost and had more casualties than any other regiment on either side of the battle. So North Carolina has a prominent place in the history of that battle. The World War I monument stands in Kansas City, Missouri, opened in 1926, just a few years, of course, after that war ended. It commemorates almost 117,000 American deaths in the war. Here in Greensboro, of course, we have our own World War I monument. Most of us will know it as War Memorial Stadium down on Yanceyville Street. Now, I'm sure it's, many of us can tell stories of, of our times there. This commemorates those from this community who died in World War I. World War II, of course, sees America's involvement beginning with Pearl Harbor. This memorial of the USS Arizona where 2,402 men died, including, including 23 sets of brothers. It's still a, a valuable monument today, a memorial to those who fought so faithfully to the end. A little closer by, the National D-Day Memorial in Bedford, Virginia. I trust you've had the opportunity to go there. And even more, and more importantly, take your children and grandchildren to go see this. Well, it's not far away. It's one that has its own inspiration to it. This community was selected for this monument because it had in our nation the highest per capita losses on D-Day. Those five beaches, Juno, Sword, Gold, Omaha, and Utah, where some 4,413 Allied soldiers died invading that beach to open up what we now know would be the beginning of the end of World War II and the Nazi regime. Another great monument of our land is the Marine Corps Memorial. The Marine Corps Memorial in Washington, D.C. If you've been to this one, I remember the first time going there, how amazed I was at the size of this. And you really do stand in awe of its splendor and its wonder. Of course, this memorial depicts a, a photograph, a prize-winning photograph that we've probably all seen, or a short version of a film where the flag of America was being raised on Mount Sarabachi on February 23, 1945, after five days of fighting on this Japanese island of Iwo Jima, where 6,800 U.S. Marines were killed and some 19,000 wounded. The Korean War, I mean, the World War II Memorial would be very similarly one of America's great remembrance memorials. This one is quite uh, the event to walk through and to see its solemn engravings and to remember uh, the, the battles and the wars of both the Atlantic and the Pacific that are given to us here. In World War II, 416,800 military deaths are recorded. And this, too, is a great place to, to go visit there in D.C. The Korean War Memorial in D.C. stands as 19 independent figures representing the 54,000 who died in the conflict of the Korean War. The Vietnam Memorial, probably one of the most memorable of all of America's monuments, 
And it is quite a solemn event to go and stand in front of that wall and to see 58,195 names engraved, remembering every one as a, uh, representing a family. And so many of them very young in that strife and that conflict that helped to shape the last part of the 1900s for sure and even some repercussions today. The gem of American monuments, though, is Arlington National Cemetery. Over 300,000 graves, and it grows day by day as they continue to add men and women who have died in service for their country. And, of course, the most famous there, the Tomb of the Unknowns, where that ceremony, is there a ceremony anymore, any more heart-grabbing than the changing of the guard? Of course, the 9-11 memorial from September 2001 that so many of us remember so vividly, where 2,977 innocent Americans were killed, stands today a reminder that evil still exists. It will not go away because of political oversight or policy. Evil will not be beset by people who would just say, well, you know, it's okay this time. No, it will continue to grow like a cancer. The only thing that stands against evil is good, righteous, that which is sacred and set apart. And in the song we just sang, Onward Christian Soldiers, the recognition that we march to the step of victory because we step to the leadership of Christ will be the only thing that will ever defeat evil. Through all these and unknown numbers more, including the one at Carolina Field of Honor, Again, something very close by, and if you've not been there, go. What a great time to go this spring, this season, tomorrow even, where they'll have services there to see the contribution and to see the names on those stones that are there representing those from here in North Carolina. We're reminded in all cases that freedom is not free. A statement here engraved on the Korean War Veterans Memorial in Washington is such a powerful statement for us to be reminded that we do not have the opportunity to sit by and watch. We have to be engaged. We have to be involved. We may not find ourselves in uniform. We may not find ourselves as boots on the ground on a battlefield. But nonetheless, we stand as a vital component to America's future because we know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And our prayers need to be for our nation in an intensity and a purposefulness that has not been seen in many generations. Ours is a recognition of a memorial. But you know, memorials are not new. They're not new to humanity. They're not new to the scripture. I want to take us today to the book of Joshua. I'll have the verses up. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 4. And let's remember the Bible speaks many times of memorials. The Lord himself, Genesis, uh, it says Genesis, should be Exodus uh, 3.15. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations, says the Lord. What is it? His name. There in that scene of Moses at the burning bush, God reveals himself as Yahweh. I am that I am, as it's translated in our Bibles. And God says, this will be my memorial. When you speak my name, you are speaking the memorial to remember who God is. And that God is almighty. 
A little later, God will say to Moses, this day shall be to you a memorial. The day he is speaking of is the Passover. That event that opened the door for the Hebrews to leave Egypt, and the bondage that they had known for freedom. This day, Passover, shall be that remembrance. Even when the Lord said, here's how the priest shall look before they come into the tabernacle. Here's their garb. You read all about it in Exodus chapter 28. One of the things the Lord says to Moses there, that the priest should have a stone. Not a big stone, a couple of inches maybe. One for each shoulder. And on that stone there would be engraved the names of the tribes of Israel. Six on each stone. As a memorial. You see, God knows it's important for us to remember because we are forgetful beings, are we not? And in remembering, we stir up more than just knowledge. We stir up appreciation. We stir up praise. We stir up our emotions to a cause that's greater than ourselves. It's important that we understand memorials. And one of the great passages of Scripture on a memorial is given to us there in Joshua chapter 4. Let me set the stage a little bit before we look at the details of this. We, of course, know at least in some overview that the first five books of the Bible tell us of those great events that God records from the very beginning of creation. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And from that point, we begin to follow this trail of humanity, beginning, of course, with Adam and Eve, then to their sons. We're only told about Cain, Abel, and Seth. But by the time you get to the scriptures a little later, we find out that Adam and Eve had many other sons and daughters. The trail of humanity is set on a path by God. And in that path, it's a path, as all humanity seems to be, a path of success and failure. Stories of great job and oh no. But we follow that path of humanity leading to the time in which God would say, humanity has gone awry. Humanity will destroy itself unless I intervene. And that intervention would come in the form of a, of a judging flood where three sons and their wives, a father and his wife, would be the only ones to survive. Oh, the call had gone out. All are welcome. But the judgment would come. And ignoring... The call, judgment came to those. And the earth suffers today because of it. Humanity would be set on a new path, as it were. And the families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth would go on to repopulate the earth and to begin to move as God had said, go. I've prepared this whole world for you as if he were to say, it's waiting on you. Go and make much of it. And we follow those, those trails. Our attention becomes focused in Genesis chapter 12 upon one man, Abraham. Abraham without a son. He had a nephew whom he loved like a son, Lot. But no, God's promise would be, this shall be your son. Of your loins and of your wife, this shall be your son. And while that promise would come, it would take many years of waiting. In many details of lives, 
intervening. Choices made, some good and some bad. But we begin to follow this trail. First Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And the sons of Jacob who would become the nation of Israel. Family groups, we often call them tribes. Family groups. And from those family groups, the expansion and the building of a people that God would call his very special children. Those whom he would set apart to be an example to all the world of God's willingness to redeem, to secure, and to prepare. We follow that trail, eventually leading those Hebrew descendants to Egypt, where they would find themselves caught in the snares of eventual bondage, slavery. Can you imagine for 400 years, generation after generation saw no hope? They had heard the promise, but it seemed to mean nothing to them, and they too would raise another generation. Until in Exodus, God says, now, a deliverer is prepared, Moses, who will, of course, lead the people out. And Moses will be the leader that will do tremendous things at the hand and the will of God. And he leads the people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai there, where the great commandments are received in Exodus chapter 20. But then it's time to move. We have a promised land awaiting us. And so they start the journey. But they get to a place and they stop that they might send some spies into this land. After all, we've never seen it. We don't, have the, we don't have the visitor's guide to the promised land. What is it like? The spies come back, two rejoicing in all that is there, but ten saying, no, it's not for us. It's harder than we would have imagined. We're not prepared for this. What can we do? All that we could turn around and go back to Egypt, some would say. Their indecision led them to a decision, but they would not accept God's promise. And there at Kadesh Barnea, they would commit themselves to a travail of events, 40 years, for a generation to die out because they had no faith. Finally, they start to head north. Closer and closer they get to this promised land they've dreamed of. But it would not be the generation that left Egypt that would enter the promised land, for they had turned their back on God. They had complained and cried. They had wailed their, their lament for Egypt. And God said, this is not the generation I've prepared to go to the promised land. It will be their sons and their grandsons, their families who would go into this place. Moses will die. And in his place steps Joshua, the military captain of the army of Israel. And Joshua will now take this place of leadership. And in doing so, he will fulfill the completed promise of taking the, he will be the one to lead the people across the Jordan River. In chapter 1 of Joshua, we're told of the encouragement Joshua receives. Be strong and of a good courage, the Lord says. Have I not promised I will be with you? Joshua, 
you can do this. You will do this. In chapter 2, they send two of their own spies then across the river to go into this place called Jericho. And they encounter this woman named Rahab. The spies return, and by the end of that chapter, they're saying, Joshua, you will not believe it. The people there have already heard of the power and might of God. Surely this is the time. And so within three days, there would be a plan put in place. God would direct Joshua to take the people to the riverside on the east bank of Jordan. They are to be led by the priests carrying, bearing on their shoulders, envision four men with a staff that carries this Ark of the Covenant. These priests will come to the riverside where the water is flowing. They glance behind them to see the multitudes. And they look before them and see the river. What will happen now? And God said, step in. Have them step in. And when they step, the water begins to abate. It separates. Echoes of the stories of the separating of the water of the Red Sea to this generation must come to their mind. And the priests, one by one, step down into a dry riverbed. They step to the middle and wait, and the Scripture says the water backs up. And they walk across on dry ground while, they, while the priests stand there in the middle. What a tremendous event this was. The people cross over. They encamp at a place called Gilgal. But before all this event is over, God has instructed Joshua to do something. And we read of Joshua's description of it to the people here at the end of chapter 4. And he, Joshua, spoke unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers of time to come, what mean these stones? You see, before it was all done, God had told Joshua, Get one man from each of the tribes. Have them go into the riverbed and take a rock upon their shoulder and bring it back up on the hill with you. And it shall be a place where you will mark. And we're told that night that Joshua took those stones and made a memorial. What's the reason for these rocks? Joshua explains it here. Because your children will ask, he says. And here is what you shall tell your children in verse 22. Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel, we came over this Jordan River on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Remember, your parents and grandparents had told that story the deliverance that God provided, and now you have your own story to tell. Verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. It is mighty. That you might fear the Lord your God. The idea there is reverence and respect and praise and glorify. That you might do all that to the Lord your God forever. This memorial given to us in the Scripture is one that plays itself out in the understanding that God said, let there be a memorial. It's valuable to your children 
and to your children's children. Let it be a reference point that you never lose sight of. Memorials are important. They have a place in our history because they bring to mind what had happened previously. They recall a time when God intervened. Go back and read from the very beginning God's intervention. From the prayers that were lifted up from the representatives of the 13 colonies there in Philadelphia to the proclamation of a declaration of independence to the battles that were won by these colonial Americans. You will see the fingerprint of God in America. And in that place, we have a right, yea, a responsibility to teach our children the importance of these truths. They cannot pass. And it's important for us to see in this great example of Joshua chapter 4, the value of a memorial is not for us. It is for those who come after us. That's why I say to you parents and grandparents, take your children to these memorials. Make it a point to make it part of their understanding of the nation that they are growing up in and of the value of this nation that proclaims in God we trust. We cannot be so lax. Joshua encouraged his generation, you must tell your children because they will ask. And I submit to you today, the words of Joshua are just as true in 2022 as they were at the time he spoke them. We have to step up and make sure we raise a generation with proper intent. Those 12 stones, it would catch your attention. You just don't see stones do this. Somebody purposefully put them there with the intent of making us remember. A memorial is valuable. A memorial day itself is valuable. A time, a day to remember. In America, our history of Memorial Day goes back to just a few years after the Civil War when communities were, were beginning to say we need to remember began in many communities, communities often called Decoration Day because they would go and care for and decorate the grave sites of their lost loved ones. And since that time, a Memorial Day has had different applications and versions in many ways of it. Today it is often misunderstood. It's just one more holiday. It's an extra three days. It's the unofficial start of summer, whatever you call it. Don't ever forget what it stands for because of those hundreds of thousands of Americans who gave their lives that we might be and that we might fulfill God's calling upon our nation to be a beacon of freedom for those. The value of a memorial, it is valuable for us to remember and proper for us to remember as we will do, as the veterans will do at the closing of the service, the remembrance part of our service today. But I want to submit to you, Gospel Baptist is committed to more than just a Memorial Day event and a weekend. I want to remind you about memorials as a whole. Because memorials, whatever they are, give us a place to remember. We go there and we stand in solemn remembrance of what this memorial stands for. 
It gives us a people to remember, a generation who stood and said, we will defend this, our home and our family, and we'll defend their future. It rightfully gives us people to remember. It also gives us a purpose to remember. For without a purpose, it does just become another holiday, doesn't it? It just becomes another visitor's attraction. I submit to you there's a much deeper meaning. And that purpose of remembrance needs to be well ingrained in us so that we can teach it to our children and grandchildren. Our church is committed to more than just a Memorial Day event. Our church is committed to memorials here on this property. For the last few years, we've had this project going on, the Daryl Haymore Memorial Field. And it's new, in, it's new visioning, I'm calling it, or revisioning. Pastor Paul is going to introduce more of that to you in the weeks ahead. But I want to let you know this project has not died, for sure. COVID, like it did everything else, kind of put the brakes on a lot of things for a while, but it has been renewed and restarted, and even some things have been done these last couple of weeks in this step. And so Pastor Paul is going to be looking for the opportunity in the weeks ahead to share with you updated details on this. We have begun a history hall here at church. A lot of you probably haven't noticed. It's this hall that runs the length of this side of the auditorium. We've got some things put up. We've got others. And I won't go into all the details now, but just know you're going to watch some things happen to this hallway that are historical for the purpose of being a memorial that honors God and his word. And we're better, in my opinion, than Gospel Baptist Church for that. But let me introduce you to a third memorial. This memorial has been planned on for several weeks. I've had the privilege of meeting with the veterans, many of them the ones in our services today, to discuss something we'd like to present to you today and, and in the sense of making you aware that it's happening. This corner of our parking lot, it's the southeast corner of the parking lot, that way. When you walk out the door, look to your right. Pretty familiar sight. A pretty, pretty bland piece of property. While you're looking at it, let me give you the vision that these veterans have come up with. We'd like for it to have this look to it. We want, to, we want it to be a memorial of those who have served our country. A place that's right there at the corner of the parking lot. A place where individuals can go and contemplate. A place where some of those black benches that have been purchased will sit. A place where we can memorialize those who have served. Let me give you a little different view of it. These renderings have been given to an a um, engineering architectural firm. They are working on details. They were here this week doing some, did some of those details. I had the opportunity to talk to them again. And so we're hoping to present plans for this. So just, I'm here today just to let you know we're moving forward with this. Where it will go, what the time frame will be, we do not know. There's so many unknowns yet out ahead of us. But I want you to know that we are moving forward with this to be an important part of our property and a place that will recognize our value to a memorial because we want the next generation to know. As we soon will turn the service over to our veterans for the remembrance service, 
their service today is going to include some children. Because we know it's important that the next generation hear and understand and value. And we want this and other things here at the church to be for the purpose of letting the next generations know, as long as the Lord tarries, that this is a place that values God's hand upon this nation and upon our lives individually and upon this church particularly. And so we ask you to join with us in prayer. We'll come back and give you details and tell you how this is going to play out. Both memorials, the Daryl Haymore Memorial and, the, and the, uh, right now we're calling the Veterans Memorial. And then the History Hall will fill its place. We're hoping to get it done by the end of the year. We've got some exciting things there to share with you uh, as we get those things up. So uh, join with us in prayer and expectation of these things. And we do so in honor of the Lord. Well, I'm going to pray and close this part of our service.